0: Our reading this morning is from Leviticus 18. This is what Holy Scripture says. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes, You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncovered nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or of your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter brought up in your father's family since she is your sister. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother, that is, you shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter, and you shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. It is depravity. And you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister is still alive. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanliness. and you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean with her. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, And do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations, so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge. Never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. May God bless the reading of his word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever.
1: Thanks, Sarah. Well, good morning. My name's Jason. I'm pastor here at King's Church. Uh, yesterday, if you were able to join us, we had a beach family day. We are in transition with our leadership of the kids' ministry. And so the team, instead of VBS this summer, has organized two events. Yesterday was the beach event. I think I have a, a photo here of the tent that we had set up. It was a wonderful time, and the kids few photos of some of the kids. They had a a fun time on the beach. Uh, My son, Teddy, especially uh, boogie boarding, had a great time. I think there's a picture of him, right, holding his his hands up on the slides. Is that up there? No? There it is. All right, there's Teddy. Uh, It was a great time. And speaking of fun, uh, my family and I, in June, spent a week in Washington, D.C., Uh, We visited uh, many of the popular landmarks, like the Lincoln Memorial and several of the Smithsonian museums. Uh, We even played human pinball, if you know uh, what that is, on the mall in front of the Capitol. I think I have a photo of uh, Olivia and Carter. I don't know if you can see them in those balls, uh, but one that's easier to see is one of Lucy Carroll here, uh, upside down. Uh, they, They just had a lot of fun. It was hot. It was so hot and muggy. Uh, but it was still a great time. Uh, one morning while we were there, we took a trip to the National Archives. That's the home of some of our founding documents as a country. The Declaration of Independence is there, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. And these documents uh, established the rules for a new nation. Uh, if you've, uh, there had ne- never been a country like the United States. And so our founding fathers had to create rules that would guide our country and how it would function, how our society would function. And in a similar way, ancient Israel was something new and unique. And they needed a document like the book of Leviticus, sort of like a constitution for this new nation, except... uh, For a group, instead of a group of founding fathers like James Madison and Thomas Jefferson, we have Moses, who uh, recorded God's words here uh, that would shape how this new society would function. Now, the Constitution of the United States was written a little over 200 years ago, the book of Leviticus was written over 3,000 years ago. And the name Leviticus alludes to the Levites who were the class of priests of Israel. Now, the Levites would have been responsible for enacting these rules in the society of of the nation. Uh, However, the book wasn't written primarily to the Levites. It was actually written to the people. It's a document to the people of Israel. Now, if you've ever tried to sit down and read Leviticus... Uh, You you probably found it very difficult because it's not a historical narrative. It's not like reading David and Goliath. It is a list of rules. Uh, It's a catalog of rules in the book that have been traditionally categorized in in three ways. Uh, The laws listed in Leviticus are either, and, and maybe there's some crossover here, but we'll say either ceremonial laws, civil laws, Or moral laws. And those categories are helpful when trying to apply Leviticus to our context today. Now, I don't have time to get into the details of that. Hopefully in the weeks ahead, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, more about that. But we're just going to dive into Leviticus 18. And before I do, I want to say a word to the kids this morning. Uh, When Miss Sarah read this chapter, there, there may have been words and concepts that were talked about. Uh, that you that you found unfamiliar. You didn't know what, what it meant. And that's okay. Uh, but I want to encourage you, if you hear something that I say, and you have questions about it, I encourage you, uh, go to mom and dad. Say, mom, uh, what did Pastor Jason mean when, you know, he said fill in the blank? Now, mom and dad, you're welcome. Uh, you're in for, potentially, some interesting conversations, right? This is a very interesting chapter. Uh, It it definitely deals with adult topics. Uh, But hey, we're just preaching the Bible here. Uh, We're we're engaging with God's Word. And parents, a word to you. I encourage you to have these conversations. Make it safe for your kids to talk about these things. Uh, Better that they see you as a safe person to come to with these questions because they're going to hear it in in the world. And, And so let's uh, appropriately talk with them about these things earlier rather than down the road when maybe it's too, too late to really provide that safe environment. So this is what I want to cover this morning, three things. First, I want to just give a broad outline of the chapter, review the chapter, review what was talked about, uh, and then I want to ask two questions. The first question uh, is this, why does God give his people these specific laws? And then the second thing I want to talk about is why would God's people obey these specific laws? And of course, throughout uh, the talk and the short amount of time that we have, I want to try to apply uh, these things to our modern-day context. So first, let's do a broad outline of chapter 18. Now, I've broken this chapter up into three sections. Uh, The beginning and the end are kind of like a sandwich. That's the bread. If you notice when... uh, it was read this morning. It's a similar topic. It's a similar uh, focus. In verses 1 through 5 and verses 24 to 30, God is calling his people to obey these commands. And he's saying, look, if you, this is, you're going to stand out. You're going to live lives that are different than your neighbors. In verses 3 and 4, uh, God says, hey, you were in Egypt I brought you out of Egypt. And the Egyptians, they lived a certain way. I don't want you to live that way. And you're about to go into this land with the Canaanites. They live a certain way. I don't want you to live that way. And he says, I want you to follow my rules, keep my statues, and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. And then at the end, verse 30, he says basically the same thing. He's saying, don't practice these abominable customs that were practiced before you. In other words, you saw people doing these things. Don't make yourself unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. So God is saying, my commandments are different. You're going to stand out. I don't want you to watch your neighbor and copy them. I want you to live the way I am calling you to live. My rules should be the compass that you Use in how you're going to live your life. And so this is how the chapter begins and ends. Now, the middle involves two sections that I want to just briefly mention. And the first is verses 6 to 17. That focuses on incest. So Moses is speaking here specifically to Israelite males. And you'll notice. This repeating phrase, you shall not uncover the nakedness of, and there's variations of this phrase 16 times in these verses and one other time in verse 19. Now this is usually a a euphemism for sinful sexual acts. And so in this passage, the focus is on family relationships, either immediate or extended family that might live together in, in a single household. And so Moses is addressing these Israelite males, forbidding them from these inappropriate relationships with their mothers, mother-in-laws, sisters, grandmothers, uh, aunts, sisters-in-laws, and and the list goes on and on. Now the last section is verses 18 to 23, and this includes a variety of commandments regarding sexual relationships related to uh, menstruation, adultery, homosexuality, and bestiality. And there's also a section you may have noticed on child sacrifices. That would have been in the worship of a false god, Uh, Molech. um, Many of the people groups in that area would have worshipped him. And unfortunately, the Israelites were tempted to do this as well. And so God is forbidding them to do that. So that's... Just this quick overview of the chapter. So let's go to this first question. Why does God give his people these specific commands? Now, I I imagine some of you when hearing this chapter may have even been shocked. You probably have never read Leviticus 18 before um, and seen this list of rules in the Bible. And your immediate thought might be, why does God need to tell his people to act not to act in such a disgusting way? You might have had this visceral reaction to it. Because, right, everybody knows incest is wrong, right? That's just a given. Why does God need to spell that out? Well, I hope you see the obvious. The obvious thing is it wasn't obvious. It wasn't obvious to this culture, to these people, that incest was wrong. God needed to give these commands because his people were engaging in these activities. They were seeing these other cultures do it. And it was tempting them and leading them to do these types of things. Israelite men were being tempted to derive their sexual ethic according to what their neighbors were doing. And the Canaanites were were involved in these various acts that we today, would condemn universally as wrong. But it wasn't to these cultures. And scholars have found that the book of Leviticus actually provides the most conservative sexual ethic of any society of its day and time. And so I'm not going to get into the specific comparisons, but if you look at legal uh, collections of the Babylonian documents and Hittite documents of these societies... They do uh, prohibit some forms of incest, but it's usually more immediate family, but not so extensive as what we find in Leviticus. And here's what's so interesting uh, when you take the time to consider Leviticus Leviticus in its cultural context, is secular people today, who might hold very liberal views uh, of sexual expression, would condemn the sexual ethic prevalent in the day of of Leviticus. Uh, People who are very liberal today would look at those cultures and condemn them. Uh, Very sexually open people today would would condemn incest, just like Leviticus does. And so it's important to to see that there is some common ground, I think, for most people today, as what we find in this book regarding this particular expression of our sexuality. Many in our context today want to condemn Leviticus, I think. They want to say it's archaic and oppressive. But I I want to maybe provide a different slant and say, hey, maybe Leviticus is very progressive maybe uh, it it is protecting and upholding the rights of women and children and those who are vulnerable in that society from men who would take advantage of them because of their privileged status in that culture. Now, we, we can uh, label God as this killjoy and believe he's all about rules and what not to do, but everybody in this room, heck, I would say 99% or more of the people in this city, Long Beach, which is a pretty you know, progressive, I'll use that term, even though I don't like it, um, city would agree there needs to be restrictions, right, on our sexual desires. Uh, Unrestricted activity in these areas is destructive and damaging uh, to the individuals acting it out, but also to those who are vulnerable in our society. Uh, If we've learned anything through the Me Too movement, it's that men in powerful positions will take advantage of people to satisfy their desires. And if we don't have restrictions, then a lot of people will get hurt. And, and so restrictions are needed. Restrictions are good. They're really good. And that's why I think the Internet can be so harmful. Because that's one place uh, where this type of thing, there, there aren't many restrictions. Restrictions. And anything goes online, and when we allow that kind of culture to fester, this is where people act out in ways that they wouldn't in real life, and it and it begins to run rampant and, and cause a lot of destruction within uh, a people's relationships. I mean, mar- marriage therapists and experts are noticing the effects that this is having on marriages today, especially young teenage boys and men who've just who've grown up into the in this age where. Where anything goes, there are no restrictions, and and it's really hurting us as a society and as individuals. And so to view Leviticus and to view Christianity as this restrictive, oppressive kind of religion or faith, I think isn't giving its due and understanding in its cultural context to say, no, restrictions are needed, and restrictions are important, To protect the most vulnerable. And I will say, I think that is one of the first reasons I would argue why God gives these rules to his people to protect the vulnerable. To protect the vulnerable. But also, I think God gives these rules because they reflect God's design for sex. A God designed sex to take place within a specific context, and it's most fully life giving when it's experienced within that marriage context between a man and a woman. Producing children and reproduction isn't the only reason God has given us sex, but it's a core essential reason if you read scripture. It's a central part of God's plan. If you look at these restrictions that God places in Leviticus 18, there's that common theme of reproduction, of offspring, of multiplying. And, and for example, that's why child sacrifice, I think, is listed in this chapter. Because to sacrifice your child goes against God's design to be fruitful and multiply and to see your children as a blessing. I mean, that is God's calling for us. And to sacrifice your children goes against that design. That's why it's offensive to God. Producing children, reproduction, multiplying, that's an important aspect of God's design, and the restrictions support that design. It's well-documented incest results in devastating biological birth defects of family members who engage in that type of behavior, and, and birth defects aren't the only consequences. they're birth defects, so to speak, Psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, for those who are impacted by this. God knows this. And God places these restrictions to protect us. Because he knows the desires of sinful human beings is to set those things aside and to only seek to satisfy what you want in the moment. Pastor Kevin DeYoung makes this point on the importance of restrictions with this illustration about cars. He makes the illustration, he says, you know, sex is like a car. Cars make life better. They enable you to drive long distances, you can visit your family more easily. Cars are fun, you can go really fast, you can look cool, except if you own a Prius. Or a minivan, just kidding, I own a minivan. But not a Prius. Um, Cars are wonderful gifts. We get to enjoy, but we have to do that within the context of certain rules. You need to be a certain age. You have to get training. You have to take a test. You need a license. You have to follow the traffic signs. you got to stay in your lane. you got to obey the speed limit. And and here's what uh, Kevin says. The rules are not to keep you from enjoying the car. The rules exist so you and everyone else can drive safely. If you don't know how to handle the car or you don't follow any of the rules of the road, you'll get hurt, and likely others will get hurt as well. The rules aren't meant to confine you, but to help you. So why does God give us these rules? It's, to, uh, it's because he designed us and he loves us, and he knows what's best for us. He says in verse 5, If a person does these things, he shall live by them. In other words, he shall flourish. Life will be good if you follow these commands. And what was true 3,000 years ago is true for us today. God designed you to flourish in specific ways, and he's given us his word to give you wisdom to know what that is because without God's outside perspective, we're left to figure that out on our own. And that's really the problem when we take God out of the picture. It's just whatever the consensus is, what do we as, as people uh, believe is right? And that's what I find fascinating when I hear uh, secular people or, or uh, let's say someone who comes from a naturalistic perspective that doesn't believe God created us, that we've just come about out of nothing. Uh, they will argue, well, everybody just knows incest is wrong or everybody just knows that this is what... Is right. And the reality is, no, everybody doesn't just know that. 3,000 years ago, this wasn't wrong. What will be okay 50 years from now? Whatever the consensus is? It's an inconsistent ethic, and it will not provide the stability that we need to live in a society that will thrive, and to have families that will thrive, and to be individuals that will thrive. So this leads us to our second question, final question. Why would God's people obey these laws? And of course, um, really the question I'm asking is, why would you obey God's laws regarding your sexuality? Um, The philosopher Charles Taylor, in his book Secular Age, describes our current sexual ethic. I have this quote in the bulletin, by the way. He says, for many people today to set aside their own path in order to conform to some external authority just doesn't seem comprehensible as a form of spiritual life. The injunction is, in the words of a speaker at, at a New Age festival, only accept what rings true to your own inner self. Now again, I would argue that is, a, that is a, an ethic that cannot be applied consistently. Um, if you think about the implications, if you re- truly live that way. Then the Me Too movement. Uh, any, any laws on incest? All these things. Uh, why would you deny yourself these things? Why would you not satisfy your appetite? And again, everyone believes some restrictions are needed. So the question is, where are you looking for those restrictions? Where are you getting your restrictions? Let's agree that we both think it's important and needed, but where do yours come from? As Christians, we believe they've been passed down by the one who's created us. And so one of the reasons we would obey God's rules is because we believe he's designed us, as we mentioned earlier, to thrive in the context of these rules. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, the famous British author, put it uh, this way, the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it has established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. And I love that idea. It's not this restrictive, oppressive thing. It's actually the rules allow us to run wild with freedom within those rules. To live as we were designed to live. And Leviticus 18 is God, is God showing his people... That path that leads to life and to flourishing. And yes, it involves restrictions. It involves saying no. But it ultimately leads to life in all its fullness. And so that's why you would say no to your inner self. Because your inner self, you cannot trust it. You cannot believe it. Your inner self does not know what's best for you. The one who created you knows what's best for you. And that's why I, as a man, cannot look to my inner self in my privileged position and think, that's what I can trust and that's how I can live my life and fulfill those desires within me. No, I need an outside source to say, Jason, this is the way you should live. This is the path you need to follow You need to learn to say no to those inner desires and to follow the path that I've laid out for you. And so that's one reason, very important reason why we follow God's rules. But let me end with this. I think the the second and maybe most important reason is because of God's grace and love for us. We see this alluded to in Leviticus 18. At the beginning of the chapter, God alludes to the exodus. God alludes to the fact that he's brought his people out of slavery. He's brought them out of their confinement in in Egypt. He's brought them to a place where they can be free and live in relationship with him. And it's in the context of that grace that he's given them. He's invited them into life in all its fullness. He says, now enter into this relationship. And here are some rules I'm asking you to follow as you enjoy life in me. He rescued us, not because we've earned it, not because we've done anything to make it an obligation on God's part, but simply out of His love for us. And what is true of Israel is true for you, Christian. If you have given your life to Christ and you have said, yes, Jesus, Rescue me. Give me this life. And you've chosen to follow him. He invites you into that relationship. And his love is granted to you not because you've obtained some level of purity, but because in your mess and in your shame and in your guilt, all of that, he loves you. He loves you. And he wants to be in relationship with you. The gospel speaks to the deeper parts of who we are and our desires. And ultimately, that's what we want to be the compelling motive, to follow God's commands when it comes to our sexual ethic. We don't want to just follow some rules. It's not about information. It's not about information. James K.A. Smith, he puts it this way that, um, you know, we tend to, try to restrict ourselves just with the information. He says, it's as if the church is pouring water on our head to put out a fire in our heart. Sometimes we think the rules and the information is what we need, but really we need that heart change. We need love, the love of Christ to change us and to change our desires. This is what St. Augustine wrote about when he talked about this compelling vision of what God has for our sexual purity. And, and Augustine saw what God was calling him to, but he, he, he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, give me chastity and self-control, but not just yet. <laughs> Have you ever prayed that? Some of you pray it every time you go online. Can we be honest? You go online, you say, Lord, give me chastity, give me self-control, but not yet. And God offers something better for you than that cycle. But he's not rejected you if you're stuck in the cycle. He's not rejected you. The gospel is there for you. If you're in that shame and in that addiction and in that place where you can't say no and you can't follow the restrictions, can I speak words of love to you that the gospel is true for you, that life is possible? You will at some point need to come to the end of your own self and call out maybe to Jesus, maybe to your friends, maybe to me, to David, someone you might need to invite into that struggle. But the gospel is true for you. And that life that Jesus offers is true for you. C.S. Lewis put it well, and I'll end with this. It's not the taming of desire that will set us free, but the unleashing and enlarging of true desire. True desire. Why why would you want to follow God's laws? Because it's the true desire of your heart. That's what we want. And so we're going to enter into communion this morning. We're running a little late, but that's okay. We're going to enter into communion and pray and ask and invite God to give us that desire through this meal. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your laws. Thank you for the restrictions you give us. They lead us down the path that leads to life. And so I pray that you would enlarge our desires this morning, enlarge our hearts to love you, and may that love compel us to follow. In your name we pray, amen.